Hey everyone. If you like this podcast, go behind the paywall to get privileged access to the smartest minds in finance. Visit realvision.com slash rvpod and use the promo code podcast10. That's podcast10 to get 10% off our essential membership for the first year. Join the Real Vision community and learn how to become a better investor. And now to the top analysis of today's markets. Francis, great to have you back with us. Delighted to be back, Ash. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. You know, Francis, I read your note over the weekend. Uh, lots happening right now. Let me just set the table here for folks who aren't following markets as closely as you are. Give a little bit of context to this discussion. Actually, this morning I was just reading Edward Jones's weekly market wrap, uh, getting a sense of all the rising risks that we see out there. Obviously, I watch this pretty closely. Let me give you a little bit of a context on how I see what's happening in markets. Uh, just some key takeaways to set the stage. Uh, S&P 500 up uh, roughly 6.5% year-to-date right now, largely on multiples expansion. Uh, earnings forecasts right now, however, are decelerating. Uh, indeed, we're in a period of what is beginning to look like a full-blown recession watch, all eyes on the labor market. Uh, the March ADP report was pretty grim, 145,000 jobs added, 245,000 expected, manufacturing and services activity decelerating, and yet oil up over 80 bucks a barrel. Uh, WTI on my screen trading, it looks like uh, about uh, 81, call it 80, 8038 right now. Uh, and uh, gold over $2,000 an ounce. A lot going on in these markets. Francis, big picture, how are you looking at all this? Uh, great question and quite a, bit of, uh, quite a bit to unpack in there. Uh, first of all, the one thing that we're not so sure about, the sustainability of Ash, is the energy markets. We, mm. we feel we've, we've seen something technically that points to a element of demand destruction event not too far out. Uh, on the gold and silver side, uh, we've been optimistic for a while. A seminal shoe did drop in terms of a technical level, which I'll also return to in a second. Uh, so the short answers to each of your key points. Indices broadly, we're in this hyper-stagflation. That's kind of our phrase where you've got uh, the forces of inflation um, still there in spite of a, a very much contracting um, overall, certainly for retail and consumer a part of the market. Uh, I will say there's hot, there's hot spots. So there might be quite a lot of rotation in the index whilst you get a fair amount of churn up and down. So I'm not overtly aggressive or high probability anything, but I'm seeing the military industrial complex, for example, doing very well. Government has mm. lost expenditure. I'm not seeing the retail and consumer uh, in nearly as positive uh, a light for stock. So it does depend where you are in the broad sense, and the index is masking probably quite a bit of churn uh, and reallocation. So that would just be a, an over-the-top uh, comment to some of the elements uh, you raised in your uh, opening statement. First, just let me uh, follow up on, on one point that you made there, uh, because it's a word that was in your note and it really grabbed my attention. It grabbed my attention again when you said it, hyper-stagflationary. Uh, boy, that's a scary word. You gotta dust out the history books uh, to get back to a period where we saw that. What does it mean uh, what are the implications and what are you watching to understand it? Yeah, so it means any demand-destroying type in event in whatever form it comes, it's not my impression, whilst you will likely get a bid, some degree of bid back in bonds, we're never going back to the CV19 events. In other words, uh, inflation has now got a stronghold. Uh, and you might push him down, but he's going to keep climbing up that cliff face coming for you. Um, that's the one part of it. In spite of, a very substantial 
Um, and again, I think it's retail that bears the brunt of this uh, and the consumer. Uh, negative environment, you mentioned jobs, uh, layoffs. If you look at the big tech guys, um, there's, you know, they're averaging between 10, 15 percent. Uh, I've looked at in a whole list right the way through Amazon of job yeah. cuts. Uh, and we're no longer talking about the, the cleaner, the janitor and, you know, the candlestick maker. We're talking about 200 thousand a year jobs, 150,000 a year jobs, middle management tech. Um, in fact, uh, when I was talking to Daniel Dimortino Boots, he referenced, uh, in fact, sorry, Jeffrey Tucker, he referenced that Twitter, you know, cut four in five employees and that still managed to function. So there could be a lot of wood uh, hacking out of yeah. the middle of corporations. And that- There, that, there were some reports over the weekend that I was reading that some of the acceleration in hiring in the Valley uh, some analysts believe was just essentially to hire away the competition that you had folks uh, who weren't ma maybe necessarily doing the most productive work at these big tech firms, uh, but they were so rich with cash uh, that they were being hired to make sure that they didn't go to the competitors. I mean, wild stuff. Yeah, it's kind of a resource denial uh, strategy, isn't it? Where you throw cash at uh, denying your your rivals' resources, and that's that happens also in the IP world. By the way, many a good invention gets bought out and and buried to protect already established product lines. So this kind of bizarre con um, business, uh, you know, the notion that big business particularly is an innovator uh, and doesn't do very um, non-economic things to protect uh, market share and, and product lines or denial of service to other <laughs> megacorps um, clearly comes unstuck with both those stories. Um, right. What I'd love to show you, which I think was a big shoe drop, and I'll start technically with if you're ready for me, is uh, the gold market and why I feel that anti-fiat category, which of course branches across also to Bitcoin, is very, very interesting because in some ways I draw a parallel gold's relationship with um, silver, uh, both as monetized metals and Bitcoin with the old category, often Ethereum being the flag bearer for that, but not exclusively the flag bearer. So there's almost an interesting parallel across two separate uh, industries. And the shoe has dropped, I feel, for the what we've regularly referred to as the God markets, the God markets of anti-fiat being gold and also the God market of crypto being Bitcoin. We feel Bitcoin's reversed. We feel gold has broken out of a major continuation pattern. So I better show you that to make my case. So I'm going to ask for the share screen to pop up and hopefully we'll be able to see that in a second. So overall, what you should soon be seeing is a bull flag continuation. If you can confirm that's coming up nicely, Ash, it'll be great. Um, we had a bit of a foundational element, a capping, descending grind line through there. This was the events of March 2020, this little dip and re-rally that led to a, a, a small flag structure that jumped you up for your final high. We are seeing this seminal event that occurred in the last week and a half, Ash. I think this is a big moment um, as, as a break for a bull flag on a quite a big time frame uh, chart. I'm showing you on a fortnightly, that is two weeks. So I'm splitting the month slightly just to get a bit more detail uh, as this being a break. So in reasonable time frame, we're seeing the secondary high and the all time high fall. 
in our opinion. So this is a bad, and, and why is this happening? We're seeing distribution out of US debt. So there's a dollar confidence crisis, but we've got people have got to remember, currency is borrowed into existence. This goes hand in hand with debt markets. So there's actually also a bigger problem. There's a debt possible problem. So China no longer feels the need to treasuries. If they're doing bilaterals with Brazil to engage in uh, Yuan, that means less dollars are needed on hand uh, as the, the global currency. So you've heard a lot of this theme now, and it seems to have stepped up. And one of the biggest beneficiaries is not another fiat. It is, hold on a minute, whilst there's this challenge to the main fiat, the god of, of fiats, call it the dollar, um, maybe we should be stepping out of the fiat game because there's no clear uh, depth provider to the level of the dollar, but clearly the dollar is under threat. Gold is benefiting in this environment and debt is having a problem generally of, of late. However, more recently, we've seen that little dip on debt, that the yields that show that the yields might drop a little bit. So there is a bit of peak, uh, there's a bit of pivot uh, nerves around. And I, I think maybe 25 basis points more out of Powell because he wouldn't want to look too soft. But there's even a, a possibility that there's not much more before there's some form of breakage in the system. And that's what we're seeing in the energy markets. Uh, you don't cut production. This is the thing. You don't cut production if you're happy with price and you're selling all you want. That is a right sizing to what must be a demand diminishing contraction. So we had energy uh, cuts. So I'm trying to pull a lot of macro seeds here together. We're talking from Bitcoin to gold, to oil, uh, to debt markets. Uh, and overall, I think we have the seeds of the next. We're known for calling the single digit oil uh, prior to um, the events of March 2020. And one of the things is the energy markets are always a tell. And we highlighted natural gas. Natural gas was a head and shoulder. I'll jump quickly past that one because it's interesting to see. Now, you can't run your car on natural gas, nor can you run it on uranium. You need petrol. But there are some substitution uh, aspects uh, that do come into play. So if I go to the natty gas, you'll see uh, that we had a, a massive head and shoulder. It was the first to fall over. I'm going to choose that particular option first. You'll see it here. Uh, there you go. This was a big head and shoulder that occurred. And I'm going to take it to the weekly level. So we were all talking about Europe being in the dark, you know, uh, in August, uh, September, lockdowns and shutdowns. And we started to see this volatility in natural gas uh, forming. So we've had one energy complex completely roll over and fall down. And that was the triggering event. And it broke and made that head and shoulder target. And it's still very close to lows losing a little bit of its downside, but close to lows. We've also felt uranium isn't looking particularly strong either. Uh, and if you look at Sprott's uh, uranium, it feels a bit more like the oil ready to potentially have a little bit of a dip down. You've got this squeezing structure. It's gone very low volatility, usually a precursor to a move. Many of the bulls think that will be to the upside. Uh, because we've got a big, you know, having been seen the move, having seen Sprott come out, there's there's quite an investor core that is now pro-uranium. It's had walked a very long desert, but that doesn't mean it just keeps going up in a single-minded fashion. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. 
Hey, Francis, jumping. let me let me mm. jump in and ask you a question because you raise a really interesting point here. I'm curious if you could give us a little bit of context on the relationship between the price of oil to the price of other energy uh, indicators that you're looking at, sometimes called the liquid balance. You make this point. Uh, you can't run your car in uranium if the price of oil goes up. Talk a little bit about uh, what the time horizons are and how you see that substitutability uh, as well as the relationship more directly in price. Yes, it's, uh, it's it's at at a retail level. There's very little substitution. You know, if you if you've got natural gas running to your stove, that's what you're running. Right. Um, but I think at a corporate uh, and more institutionalized level, and it's also a bit of an oil tanker. It's not the kind of thing that gets switched on and off at a flick of a switch. But long run, as a general category, it's very rare that you'll have a super dominant, very expensive individual uh, component of energies, while two others are cheap and falling um, because then you start to get the structural there's time for a structural adjustments to take place uh, and of course in oil you also have heating oil and other things and those tend to be more readily switchable to gas etc so it's not a it's not a it's not a pivot that at a retail level you would easily do we don't have a switch on our wall that just pivots your heating oil to natural gas but uh, at, a, at a more institutional and corporate level those things tend to over time adjust so I'm pointing out that you've got two in a category one that looks precarious and wanting to roll over one that's already has done and then you get the output cuts that has done re, uh, retain price the only thing that was different to the precursor of the CV19 events was in fact the weekend and Raul was all over this on that weekend as well because um, we both commented on Twitter at the time, and I saw his tweet. Uh, when Russia and OPEC met, the Saudis primarily, uh, they refused to do cuts. And then you opened that Monday with an absolute spill, and then down it went. This time, they are preemptively working together, which is actually negative for America and the dollar, because it's going to keep a little bit of heat in the inflation number, which is going to add to the stagflation element, which is why we consider this as a hyper-stagflationary element, because you're getting um, the oil being kept up uh, by a right-sizing of what will be supplied, uh, mm -hmm. so that price is being held. They don't want to go the glut route where everybody has to pump more to make the same revenue number, and you lose that stability of the markets where it goes to the extremes everyone starts pumping more because everybody needs a number. Uh, and that's, in some senses, that's more damaging because the thermostat of the oil price in demand uh, reducing times actually helps a correction. It reduces costs on people. So in actual fact, this adds to the pain lever. Your head has been waterboarded under that water for longer because you're not going to get the release on um, the oil. Uh, all this at the same time as we're seeing gold going up. So there's a head and shoulder. If you do the the cross gold, uh, and I'm hoping we might have time for that. If I take oil and I divide it by the gold futures, for example, even though it's gapped up on that production news, if you divide it by the gold futures, um, what you're actually seeing is uh, a second head and shoulders very similar to the one that preceded uh, the, the events not uh, that long ago. So let's have a look at that uh, for you. So that is for us a big macro head and shoulders. Some of you might see this right now. This is uh, US dollar WTI, the Western Texas Intermediate Contract. There's your overall head. You've already had what we refer to as a monarch head and shoulder. It's this, a smaller one right at the very top, the king if you want, uh, inside of the head. That has already performed 
and that performed to there. This is where we get a rally. That's why there was a good temporary target off point. But the big threat is not gone until you run this right shoulder. So that's typically where stop losses would be placed. You've got Chris, a couple I don't know of about you, but I can't see that chart on my screen yet. My apologies. I omitted to go to share screen. Sorry for that, guys. Um, jumping in and out and turning it off each time had me fooled there. Let's go straight to that. And I'll just restate that. So here we have the Western Texas Intermediate with gold. Uh, and I'm highlighting the head and shoulder that we see. This is essentially oil divided uh, by uh, gold. So we're using a different monetary component. And you can see this left shoulder, this big macro head over here. And we have a right shoulder structure. Now, whilst you are rallying here and you had the gap on the production cut news, you have already triggered this. And you've made the smaller head and shoulder that is in the top here that I've also highlighted. We call that a monarch. It's the king. He sits right at the very top and he has the narrowest shoulders. That's already made. So you tend to get rallies after target maids, but the danger's not gone until you clear this right shoulder and invalidate uh, this uh, head and shoulder. And just to give you a quick view on that, this is very similar to what happened the time before. So for those that say, it didn't work. Well, here's what happened the time before. This is a, a small history redux for three years ago, in essence. And again, you had this neckline and you had that structure. There's the right shoulder over here. Uh, you can see the left shoulder and the head. And then we had the extreme spill that took us to almost infinite, to zero, basically, in the gold-silver ratio. Because, of course, we traded zero on the, the Western Texas inter, uh, immediate contract. Right, so let me say this, of course, that this production cut was a surprise last week. Uh, well, at least it caught many flat-footed uh, in terms of expectation. But let me ask you this. When you're pricing this uh, in, in precious metal, when you're pricing this in gold, what are you filtering out? Uh, is it noise on the dollar? Uh, what does it give you a clearer picture of? Yes, we're taking money to be gold and we're treating everything else as fiat because the dollar, unfortunately, instead of being the stable coin in the crypto market, has in fact become part of the story. It had an extremely strong spell that we'd predicted and spoken to was coming. And then since then, it's had an extremely weak spell. So what you're actually getting is there was quite a bit of volatility on uh, the dollar. So by bringing in gold, you're bringing in a cross-commodity. We, we like cross-commodity trades because there is an inflationary element. There's a danger to going short oil. You know, if the inflationary part of the stagflation, the hyperstagflation starts to go up and you're too early with your demand destroying event, just being naked short oil is actually a potentially very threatening position to be in. And you just saw an example with a gap that can destroy accounts and run stop losses. Um, however, by being cross commodity, um, the inflationary effect is evenly distributed amongst them and you are almost hedging that out. It's not necessary. There's no such thing as a perfect hedge, uh, but you're certainly getting that. And gold is a very, uh, a very honest uh, uh, anti-anti-fiat anti hedge. It's about as good as we have at the moment. Um, and you know that brings us, I suppose, to Bitcoin because we've mentioned it and we've not shown the chart on it. So it would be worth showing this. We think Bitcoin's going at least for a 40 to 42 and a half k uh, run following a major reversal. Uh, I'm going to just uh, switch the lights out on all the lines there, but uh, so that it's easy to spot this. But 25k uh, ash, such a key level for yeah. a chart. 
uh, odds such as Bitcoin. So many people have spoken of 100,000 and obviously 50,000. Uh, and for us, this uh, this constituted, and I'll go with the fat cokey here, a left shoulder here. That was a bit of a rising wedge. We fell further. This was the FTX additional events that was November uh, of last year. And then we have the right shoulder here. So I want to give a bit of good news to your crypto audience. Um, we've been bears and boring bears because we've stuck with it for an extended period. So we have, you know, we are turning. This is these flags have all played out to targets. Um, there was, in fact, a head and shoulder we discussed before over there that called literally the bottom that ran uh, 15 and a half. That was a target down there. So I got a lot of lines that will overwhelm everybody on this big time frame. So a little bit of spinning tops and tightness here. You could have a short dip towards the neckline, but we see a return back into where these flag zones were. And that neckline of that head and shoulder runs at 42 and a half. And you've got the midpoint of this big bear flag. I think you get a bit of heavy traffic there. Might run into a bit of bottleneck and churn a little bit. But that's a nice move. On hey, top Francis, of let me ask you a question about this. And how do you tease out uh, the technical factors versus the fundamental factors? Obviously, looking on that chart, uh, going back to... Uh, Going back to 22, a lot of news flow, a lot of fundamental activity. Uh, you can see those drops on the collapse of FTX, those big red candles. Uh, give us a little sense of how you tease out what's technical uh, versus uh, what is, I guess, uh, also the cyclical component of the halving cycle here uh, versus uh, what is fundamental. It's a lot going on in these markets, man. Oh, absolutely. And when you're doing a technical analysis of a chart, it's far better to be ignorant of the underlying you're looking at. In other words, it has to be purely technical. If you try build news in, what you end up doing is bending the technical analysis to news events. Everybody is narrative driven. So I'm actually chart driven. I've trained myself to be, listen, I look at this as if I'm looking at an equity I've never heard of. Um, and I just draw patterns uh, and key levels of significance where I see them. Uh, that's the only way you can do true and honest technical. If you're saying, oh, but on that day, this and that. And I've reached a point now where I can do, uh, I'm quite cold blooded uh, and can do that. And now can at the same time simultaneously talk about the FTX collapse, the three arrows collapse and various other things and because people are still narrative driven. If I just sit here and talk patterns and lines and projections, you lose your audience sometimes. There's some people don't have that level of belief in uh, the ability of technical analysis to be precursor to major events. So you've got to bring in what they understand about it. So that's why you will have heard me uh, bring a bit of fundamental in into the the description of what's gone on here. Right. But in truth, I look at this as, a, as an equity I've never seen before on an exchange I've never visited before. You know, a miner in, you know, Singapore or something like that. I don't think they have many miners in Singapore, but, you know, uh, almost deadpan. Uh, and that way you do your technical analysis on a far cleaner way. It avoids biases. If you're too filled with news and fear, you tend to carry that over into your technical assessment. Uh, you have to be actually peak fear, probably a good point to uh, to turn. Uh, so we see a, maybe a coming off first, but uh, a move up. So we feel this has turned. And at the same time, we've discussed gold ha having triggered. Now, the interesting part about gold having triggered, so I'm jumping around a bit, Ash, and I'm going to keep the charts up, um, is at the same time, silver is yet to trigger. And in the same way, the old tokens it's been a Bitcoin dominance play. In fact, before I leave Bitcoin entirely, let me just show you this uh, chart as well. 
we called for the dominance to re-reach back up to the 47.5 level. This was a flag here. So when we were pivoting long, we said, you're probably going to make a sub 20K run on the right shoulder because that was the previous high of 2017. Um, and we had a number of key levels there. It did exactly that. So on that point, we were very accurate. It was great fills for a number of our community members. And then we said the dominance, the run will pause when we get back up to the dominance of 47.5. That's here. And you can see this bull flag has played out uh, on dominance as well. Very, very nicely and dovetails with lots of legacy dominance highs. So the question comes on gold, when does silver start outperforming? And in, in crypto, when do some of the alts and which ones will be the alts that start uh, outperforming? So I'm kind of front running a couple of narratives that we may not have time to explore in the fullness today. Right. Uh, but but uh, these are very, very interesting, and the technicals will show you. And it's our feeling that the lead alt, even though it's far from perfect, is Ethereum, and that you're going to start to get some dominance out of uh, Ethereum at some point. Again, switching off the lines here, we feel that this has got two very nice impulses on a bull move that at some point you will start to get an upside, a third impulse, and then an upside breakout. On the S, but not yet, not yet. We're seeing a slowing of the downside now that Bitcoin dominance has gone 47.5. And in the same way, parallel running these two narratives of uh, anti-fiats, we're seeing silver coming up, holding, and I'm not sure if it's still holding the $25 Monday morning, it was until Friday, but we're seeing the gold-silver ratio uh, reversing. So let me show you that. Another very interesting, which is similar. This is Francis, a big as you're, as you're bringing up that, you mentioned uh, open questions, of which there are many talking about questions. We've got a lot of them coming in from our community members right now. Uh, I know I want to be mindful of time. I know we both got to jump. Uh, you tell me. I'd love to get to some questions if you've got a minute. Oh, I'm ready for them. Let them fire away, Ash. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. All right. Uh, this first one comes to us uh, from Nikhil, uh, and he's asking a question that I think many people were probably wondering about when we were looking at those oil charts early on. Can Francis explain how he looks at the futures uh, oil uh, or energy prices with a lens of contango and backwardation, and what do you currently see there? Uh, first, let's define those terms for people who may not know. Um, so, uh, when you the, those two phrases are quite technical phrases that have got to do with whether the pricing is actually trending out the further you go out, uh, or whether there's actually a dip in the futures contracts. In other words, the further out you go, the right. cheaper the price. There's normally relative a cap to spot. Relative to Correct, spot. relative to spot. Uh, or the near contract relative to a much further out one. Uh, and right. the typical, due to carry costs, typically you get, um, you can find that the near contract, I think the typical, and I stand under correction, um, is that you'll be a little bit more expensive on the near than the further out because you might have to contain. You're going to take delivery, you're going to have to uh, contain. Uh, so you might get a slight downdrift on something that's further out because you don't do it. But as it gets closer to delivery, you can get a natural pickup in the contract. Um, and what tends to happen if markets, it's a bit like yield curve uh, in some senses, yield curve inversion. If the market is very, very uh, bearish, you can potentially get 
the opposite. The short-term contract could be very under-demanded and not marked for much delivery, and people could be lengthening out their demand. In other words, you don't want to sit with inventory of oil ash if nobody's burning oil as, as a right. someone who's in the supply chain, uh, because you've got to guard it, gate it, it's got carry costs associated with it. So you want it just in time. So if the demand is reducing, you push it the delivery further out. Uh, so you you actually sell the near contract and you 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 you, you queue up that inventory later on. And so you see more de demand being pushed to the, the longer end of the curve. So I'm not sure I've done the best justice to explaining the difference between um, uh, Contango and uh, the normal markets. And I don't actually have a view. I haven't checked the uh, oil contracts across different months. So I'm not in a position to re reply that, but actually it's a very good question and it's one I'll go have a look at afterwards. Uh, so you're looking, at, wanna, you're looking at spot when you make this. I'm looking generally at spot and I'm doing cross, uh, I'm actually doing cross asset class analysis rather than inside the same asset class cross time zone spread based right. analysis. Uh, and the question is very much around the spreads uh, along time right. frames. Uh, broadly, and it's a very good one, and it's maybe a hole in my analysis that I should go uh, revisit to see. Well, you bring up this important point. There are many different ways of looking at markets. Uh, you can look at them across time. You can look at them across assets, and that's what we've been doing here today. Yeah, absolutely. So just while I was on in the flow of the gold-silver ratio, um, Ash, we've got this as a broadening structure, which is actually a bearish structure. Uh, you'll see you failed to meet the high side of the line. We call this a trumpet. Um, and it's also on broadly in the environment of a downward selling gold silver ratio. So if I uh, just redraw that, you'll see we've been rejected very violently. This again points to March 2020 being a seminal turning event. We called the turn in bonds as an asset class. Generally, we're not interested in owning or holding any debt, even though you might get short term bids in, in uh, real recessions or even depressions in the debt class. We're not interested. This was a turn for the bonds, and we think it was also simultaneously a macro turn for the gold and silver relationship. You hit 128. That was an all-time ever high. In fact, the periods at 90 and above, even spanning back multi-decades, are exceptionally rare. So we are pretty expensive. You're thinking 90 of those ounce coins of silver to secure that single gold item when you're pulling them out of the ground at about a ratio of one is to eight is a major distortion. And of course, many people theorize that the silver market relatively illiquid in the futures market can be bullied. So we see this as a right shoulder on a macro head and shoulder and a reversal. So we're calling macro precious metals bull. And rather than the, the antagonistic relationship that, say, Peter Schiff has with the crypto guys, we're saying this is very good for Bitcoin. So it doesn't just end at 42 and a half. That's our first step. We don't like throwing out a big number just to be the biggest guy in the room, the hardest maxi uh, in the room. But yeah. uh, we would see further upside, possibly into uh, new highs for Bitcoin in the next cycle. In the event of this head and shoulder structure that we see. Again, I'll just sh show you it quickly. Hey, Francis, a, qu a quick question for you. Talking about the most bullish guy in the room on Bitcoin, we've got a question on exactly that point. This one comes to us from Frederick Bogart, and the question is, uh, does Francis think Bology's million-dollar Bitcoin in 90 days is possible? Uh, the only way you would get such a scale of move. So certainly much more things are possible than people are prepared to think about. Right. If you think about 150 trillion in debt, 
dropping in value even by 10 or 15 percent. That's a god-awful sum that has to find somewhere else to go if it's being sold off. Um, and uh, when you look at the number of Bitcoin that are actually available for purchase, not the total amount that's been released so far, many of those are in long lockup wallets. So actually, when you do that kind of stock to flow, how much could reasonably be coaxed into being sold at a certain level, there's not nearly as much. So I've seen good threads around that. So technically, it's absolutely possible, but it's going to be a crisis that uh, will be across all financial headlines. Uh, and it will probably be the precursor to the CBDC introduction and UBI and many other social things that could lead to be distracting news events. So it's not, uh, it's not impossible, but likelihoods and possibilities are totally different. I would say it's not high probability really right now, but there are the seedings of a fiat-based confidence collapse. And that's, I think, what it would take. Uh, and you're going to need a wall of money to go into Bitcoin. And I would imagine the environment for Bitcoin, silver, uh, and a number of the better thought alts could be very, very attractive um, if that event occurs. Whether you hit a million, it's going to take a lot. Well, it's certainly gotten a lot of buzz in the news cycle, whether you take that literally or seriously, uh, I guess is uh, is up to the individual, but interesting points. I'm mindful of time here. I know uh, it's 11.35 right now, Francis, and I want to give you some opportunity here to wrap up and give some final points and key takeaways uh, before we wrap the show out. 100%. Traders and investors among us, my core focus right now is not the general indices where I think there's quite a bit of churn. You may want to look at if you can. Uh, if you can, there is real work going on. The, it's uh, in the gold and in the anti-fiat category. Initially, you want to start with those god markets. There may be rotation into the silver and the alts, such as Ethereum, required. We are looking at the timing of those. It's not yet uh, here. Um, that is where I think real gains uh, could be made uh, financially. Also, the miners are lagging. They will be the last of the shoes to drop. If you continue to see strong silver and the reversal of this gold-silver ratio to this uh, neckline of 65 here that we've drawn, and that triggers, the next stop is 32.8. So if gold is at a 3,000, that's the target from that bull flag, and you're at a 32, or let's call it 33, um, relationship to, uh, you'll be at $75 uh, if we're at 25 now. Um, so it will be a, a very attractive move. That will take a lot of pure silver miners that have been battling and struggling to big, big multiples. So that's going to be very, very interesting. And it will also be, I suspect, very good for crypto. For those that want equities outside of what I've referred to as the anti-fiat category, which is the anti-debt category, which I fear is we, we have a problem, there's too much debt. The military industrial complex is doing exceedingly well. I'm actually more of a fan of the European military industrial complex than I am of uh, the US, but they are all trading very, very close to highs. My favorite at the moment, that's a big call, that's kind of brassy of me, is BAE. It is listed on the states under BAESY. Uh, this is British Aerospace. So again, I'm still on the charts. I'm going to put that on the monthly for you. And we see a very, very big uh, 86, 81 
on that one. This is a big, big breakout. I do feel that the locker has been emptied uh, and handed over to Ukraine of all aging tech. Uh, and there is a, a restocking going on of the latest and greatest. If you look at a couple of others, for example, we'll just show you uh, Tales. This is in a breakout. We've got a target there of 146. These things are near all-time highs as the S&P has made head and shoulders uh, targets to the downside and is now rallying back up to that neckline. This is where the money is going. Government, unfortunately, is spend of last resort. That's Saab, by the way. Uh, I wouldn't chase uh, you know, a spike like that, but it's just to illustrate how well these in, uh, guys have done. Rayathon, very few percentage points that, of that all-time green, highs. That green candle on Saab, pretty stunning. Yes, I mean, that's a, just an epic an epic move. I mean, they were behind, for example, the Griffin fighter. So your European military industrial complex uh, seems to be, this one's already run, as I say, don't buy the top. You probably have some degree of uh, pullback, but there's a few that are well on the way. Northrop Grumman, uh, another one. These things are pretty close to highs. I mean, if you look at these guys, uh, Ash, I mean, you really need to see it on a log scale chart. It's absolutely flown. Uh, these guys have absolutely flown. Since 91, you're talking about a $6 to a 476. Uh, th this, is, this is weaponization. Um, these guys are doing exceedingly well. The largest of government's expenditure, it seems as we come to the end of the fiat and debt-based system, the people that are going to get uh, the largest of the, look, it's never going to get paid back money, um, seems to be uh, military. Uh, and many people have conspiracy theories, I'm sure, around that. But that's- Francis, that as we mentioned this idea of coming to the end, I wanted to ask you one question for me. Uh, we've talked about a lot, we've covered a lot of ground here, a lot of different sectors, a lot of different asset classes. Of all of these, where do you feel that your own highest conviction is? I, I love the uh, anti-fiats. Um, and I think there's broad scope in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I find military industrial complex a bit of a hold your nose by. Uh, it's a hard one to put on. Um, you're betting on malfeasance, government overspend in an environment where so many other things are going without resources. You're betting on the dark side of humanity. Um, the, the I feel happier with the the truth that I feel gold recommends. That's a moral statement rather than a uh, a wealth building one. You need mm. to be careful. Uh, the dark side is strong. Um, but uh, yeah, some miners, metals, uh, the monetized metals particularly. We're not as bullish, for example, palladium um, and, and the others because of their industrial usage. So you've got this demand destroying event, the consumer. You've almost got two economies, Ash. It's a, t a tale of two cities. Uh, only it's not Sodom and Gomorrah. One, one is Sodom and Gomorrah and the other is... Uh, the, the peasantry that are having hard times and facing uh, famine. And uh, there's largesse for government spending in military, uh, and the rest of the world is on rations. Uh, so that's the, the stag part, the stagnation part of the hyperstagflation. The inflation is the expenditure, the debt, uh, and that can't be sustained. And the answer is the anti-fiat category. Uh, if you want percentages, crypto will move in greater percentages still in my view. But, uh, you know, long lost silver miners that are marginal producers will do a crypto jump too. Uh, there's a couple of 20 mil, 100 mil and 200 mil market caps that can go to 6 billion. 
in uh, if, if silver goes to $50 and holds there for even six months, they turn into absolute cash generation machines. So um, there will be possibility for crypto S gains, um, but those are not those are speculative investments. You know, it's not plunge the pension pot into micro caps miners right. uh, and. Also, existing mines that are already producing, by the way. Don't do uh, guys that are prospecting. Uh, they must have ore in the ground. Um, that would be my cautionary note. Well, we end this highly technical uh, analysis on a very philosophical note. Francis Hahn, always a pleasure to have you with us. Delighted to be here. Thanks for having me on, guys. Look forward to the next time. Thanks again, and thank you for watching, everybody. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. For more content like this, Head over to realvision.com and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.